hub, and spoke. Audio Collective. This is Rumble Strip. I'm Erica Heilman. What about a, what about a cat? No. Cats are okay. They're like cold pizza. It's okay. But it'll never be as good as hot pizza, which is a dog. Dogs are just my people. <laughs> That's Tara Ray. She's a dog person. She's also a photographer, and sometimes she takes pictures of dogs. They're not cute pictures. I mean, some of them are cute, but most of them are spooky and beautiful and sometimes hilarious and every bit as distinctive as pictures of individual people. I interviewed her some years ago, shortly after her beloved dog, Nighthawk, died. Then about a year ago, my friend Tobin's dog died and he was devastated and he told me that he sometimes felt ashamed for feeling so much about the death of a dog. This dog who had been his constant and sole companion all throughout the pandemic. It seems like a lot of people feel like they have to hide the amount of feeling they have when a dog dies. But the death of a dog can be just as painful, sometimes more painful than the death of a human family member. So here is a show about Tara and Tobin and their dogs and their grief on losing them. This is the second show in a two-part series about dogs, if you can call two a series. Anyway, here's Tara. We got Nighthawk when Josh and I were living in New York together. And we got him as a puppy. He was 12 weeks old. And I just wanted to envelop him and love him for every moment of his life. And that's what we did. And we were pet parents. And we never pushed him around in a stroller, but we were pet parents. I think a lot of people do that in the beginning. You know, they get get a starter kid and it's often a four-legged version. And that's definitely what Nighthawk was. But even after the boys were born, Nighthawk didn't... Sometimes dogs fall off the radar and become secondary. And Nighthawk never did that. He was always still way up there in the hierarchy. (laughs) There's different things I would do for my children than I would do for my dog, for Nighthawk. But I think I love them equally. I don't think you're supposed to say you love your dog as much as you love your children, though. People probably think that's nuts. This is Tobin Anderson. For the first two years, I could not stand that dog. I really hated her. Um, And in particular, I remember one day when I really just wanted her to die. I'd taken her for a walk for like an hour and a half or two hours. And as we got back to the car, she was still kind of crazy. I unhooked her from the leash to take her back to the car. And she ran right out into the middle of Route 2 and these like semis are rolling by and stuff. And she kept on trying to escape from me as I approached her. She wouldn't come to me at all. And she had lines of traffic stopped in both directions because she wouldn't get out of the middle of the road. And I literally just was so angry, so pissed off. Like, I just wish that a truck would hit her. I wish a truck would hit her so I don't have to take care of this animal anymore. I really hated her in that moment. And, um, Yeah, so it took me a long time to actually come to like her, even, let alone, you know, then the fact that she became one of the deepest emotional connections I ever had in my life. What were his different names? Can you you just... Well, Stinky was his main nickname. Night-night. We called her LaRue Elfgafu. Oh, Farouche LaRue. Bup-bup. Mr. My Vanilla Anubis. Senior Miguel Papinski. Laruvium. Sonia Sotomayor. Uh, for a while, I just called her small. But Stinky was the main. 
Because it was <laughs> so stinky. I find it very difficult to live with people. There's just so much conversation. And you start to make conversation to make conversation. With a dog, you make conversation too, but, um, you know, they don't respond. And also there's, um, <laughs> that's when you start singing. You start singing songs to the dog to get the dog emotionally involved in your life, to get them excited about going for a walk. Um, here we are, LaRue. Oh, here we are, LaRue. Yes, here we are, LaRue, at home. I thought of it as kind of like a boozy, like, piano ballad or something. And I had kind of like a Rod Stewart number that went, um, Is that exciting, LaRue? Is that exciting, my big-eared girl? <laughs> so his voice was... It's very embarrassing, but it was like, um, hey guys, this is your pilot speaking, Nighthawk. Welcome to to the flight, Flight 182, out of Boston. We're going to be heading into Salt Lake City later today. We're going to be cruising at an altitude of about 2,500 feet. And uh, we just want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a writer, so I don't necessarily have to go places a lot. Get dressed. <laughs> yeah, so I don't necessarily have to get dressed, right? So um, it's a perfect situation to be taking care of a dog in many ways. Um, and Larue and I would go for walks every day for like three to five miles. And um, walking is a deeply contemplative and meditative experience. And walking with a dog is. Um, they are involved in circles and in investigations. And so are you. Um, you are also just pawing through stuff and, uh, and running circuits around ideas. And it's so deeply beautiful and meditative to have a companion for that. And you know they're never going to talk to you and interrupt you. <laughs> Um, so, you know, you talk to the dog when you need to, but the nonverbal communication is so profound. You start to pick up on what the other one is interested in. So you start to hear the rustling in the bushes as a human. You start to witness the stars in a different way because you realize that there is this other intelligence that's sitting beside you and assessing it all, but has a very different set of values we're always very aware of training the dog but they are of course training you too so you start to be able to see just in the way that she sits oh she's not actually feeling great as opposed to oh she's feeling cozy you don't even recognize why it is you know but you start to know what the dog is feeling and the dog and you are radiating signals towards each other all the time go get it Anytime I ever cried, Nighthawk would make himself present. He wanted to be on my lap. He wanted to provide comfort. I don't, I don't really know any other way to put it than he wanted to be there for me. And for Josh, anytime he was watching hockey and it would get really, really intense, 
Nighthawk would get up on Josh's chest and basically like scratch at his chest. Say, it's okay, I'm here. It's all right, I got you. And that's what Nighthawk did for everybody in his own way. There's just something about being held and having that safety and that comes with any dog that you're close with. It's just like an automatic part of the package. It's probably why there's such a connection is because even if you're not connecting with your family or, you know, you're going through all this this stuff externally, it's the one thing that's constant no matter what is this animal in your life that will come and sit on your lap and give you that pressure. Nighthawk and I would sometimes lay on the couch together while Josh took the boys to school. It's a 25-minute drive one way, so it was about an hour. And sometimes I'd lay there, you know, lay on, on my side, and Nighthawk would lay on his side, and we'd just sort of, like, spoon each other on the couch. And just that very often felt like such a relief. <laughs> you know, the kids are at school. I have this little bit of respite before my day starts. And I've got this little dude that wants to be there with me, really wants nothing else but to be there with me. You know, you have your your positions with your your spouse, how you sleep in bed with them, and then you have the, the position how you sleep with your dog on the couch when the kids are on the way to school. And they're both equally special. Yeah. Hospital. This is Ember. How can I help you? Um, hi. This is Tara Melrod. I was calling about Nighthawk. Yeah. Yeah, um, so we were curious about, um, cremation. Okay, certainly. Um, would you be interested in doing a private cremation where you would get his ashes back or a group cremation, uh, cremation without any returned ashes? Private. Yeah. So it looks like for the cremation and then saving the ashes, so doing it privately, um, that'll be one forty-five twenty-six. All right. I think we need um, a little bit of time to think about it. Of course, of course. Just let us know. Take all the time you need. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Right, bye. I lost more than we. You know, we lost more than a dog. We lost a family member specific to our family. Could look completely different in somebody else's family, but I know what we experienced in our home with his passing was more profound than any other loss of a human I've ever experienced. I mean, my grandmother died a couple years ago, and that was sad, but I didn't cry for two weeks. And I didn't feel her absence every waking moment. And does that mean I loved my dog more than I loved my grandmother? I don't know. Maybe. I had more of a connection with my dog. My grandmother lived in another state, you know? I mean, some some entity that is a part of your everyday decision-making for almost 14 years is going to have a profound effect on you when it's missing. Whatever it is. What do people not understand who don't, haven't had this experience or who haven't had a dog? True unconditional love. I would say people who don't have a dog may, may be, have not experienced that. Are you judgy? 
I'm just judging myself for saying that having this dog was such an important thing. And, you know, people lose people and grieve. And that's acceptable and understandable. And, you know, it feels privileged. Like this white lady crying about her dog, you know, the world's on fire. Who really cares about a dog? But that to me it would be saying, like, who really cares about love? Or who really needs love? It is what it is to me in my little corner of the universe. And that's really all any of us have is just our little spaces that we carve out for ourselves and whatever we put into those spaces and however it, it, you know, it gets assigned value is different for every single person on the planet. Just because I feel my dog doesn't mean I don't feel for people that are going through things that are bigger, you know. But it's not, it's not an Olympics of suffering, you know. For several weeks after her death, I experienced grief, I think, for the first time in my life. I mean, I've had friends die. I've had dogs die. I've had cats die. I've had family members die. And I never had experienced grief. I think I'd only experienced sorrow. But grief is different. It's like panic. It's a physical sensation. You can't do anything else because your body is in a state of alarm. So that was several, two weeks or so, it felt like that. Like I couldn't shake it. I couldn't, I found it very hard to eat. Um, There's a weird shame of being an adult and feeling that you are feeling this deeply about an animal. And the weird thing is, I mean, it's now eight months later and it doesn't feel to me, it feels better than the grief. The grief is over. That lasted a few weeks maybe, but the sorrow is still there. Like I still don't walk. Um, You know, I walked three to five miles every day with her and suddenly it just seems uninteresting to me. Like, I love Vermont. I love the mountains and the hills. But now it just looks like a bunch of dead crap and some stones. You know? But it's miraculous. Like the fact that it really does change the way that the mountains look and the way that the that the night smells. Everything is altered by the, this connection which is beyond the human. And what is it all worth if you don't know that you're fully alive and what could be more fully alive than this dog, which experiences everything speaks about none of it. And yet is full of a sense of the world. You are inviting heartache. If that's true, Mm -hmm. isn't that kind of this terrible invitation to in a way, the worst kind of suffering apparent fears mm-hmm. to me if that's true i would be terrified well i'm terrified with human children i mean it's all terrifying every day is terrifying <laughs> you just get through it um i didn't know i was gonna love him that much when i got him i just do you know i just and i was certainly not thinking about the end of his lifespan and i don't think about the end of my children's lifespans either and i know that they're gonna knock on wood be much longer than nighthawks um, but I, I don't think that knowing that is worth stopping doing it. Having a dog that you love has a 
shelf life that's much shorter than you would want is not going to stop you from having that in your life. And children are scary. I mean, every day it's something new, but it doesn't stop you because you love these little creatures and you want them in your life. And whatever that means, you know, whatever you get is what you get. I wouldn't ever in a million years want to say that losing my dog would be like losing a child to somebody who's lost a child. I mean, I would never, that's not what I'm, so maybe that makes it not true. No, no, I think that they're not mutually exclusive. So Maybe there could be two of those thoughts at the same time. People keep suggesting that I get another dog. And I just, I understand the rationale. And I think that that works completely with some people. But I feel like you can't just sit down in front of an animal and look at it and say, oh, I'm going to fall in love with you and I'm going to spend the next 14 years taking care of you and you taking care of me. We're going to have this connection. You can't fall in love on command like that. I never expected to fall in love with LaRue, you know? And that was part of what was so magical about it. I hated, I fucking hated LaRue for the first year of her life. And I feel like love has to sneak up on you from behind, especially if you're from New England. And I mean, I guess the other thing about getting another dog is that no one would say to someone, you know, oh, your kid died. Just make another kid, you know? I mean, for someone, I think, especially like me, who has no partner, I have no children, in a weird way, LaRue ended up, I mean, she ended up halfway between, in a sense, uh, a child and a spouse in that decisions are made together like they would be with a spouse, and yet you are her caretaker like you would be with a child. And so therefore you're responsible for her suffering. If she is suffering, you feel the pain. She looks at you with eyes that say, you're supposed to make this better. How are you going to make this better? I have loved you. What What's going on? Keep on going, LaRue. Yeah, go. Go on, LaRue. Good girl. LaRue devoted the entirety of her life to loving me. Even before I liked her, she still devoted the entirety of her life to loving me. How could I then go on to love another dog as deeply? Like, it feels almost like a betrayal. (laughs) Good girl. Good girl. Yeah. Finding something that provides 100% easily accessible love and being able to receive it and being able to give it back. There's some people that are able to do that with people. There's some people that are able to do it with animals, and I think I'd probably fall into that category. You know, I love the people that I love deeply. And I love the animals that I love deeply, but I don't love all the people. But I might love all the animals. I don't think I ever want to not be with an animal. It's not a question. It's not up for debate at all. Love hard while they're here. The morning after LaRue died, I went to see her body. I drove into Montpelier and the vet came in and I held her body for a while 
it was room temperature, but she still smelled like she always had smelled. She always smelled very sweet for no particularly good reason. But anyway, and then I came home and actually just, I think, to torment myself, I sang the song again that you, that I sang for you, Here We Are at Home. But of course I knew she wasn't. And that afternoon, I sat down to write a set of memories about her. And I was writing the memories, and it was just at about the beginning of evening, when everything is turning red. And I looked out that window in my study right there, and out on the lawn, she came out of the woods and looked at me. And I don't mean it was like she came out of the woods. I mean, she actually came out of the woods and stared at me. And so I stood up, and she was staring through the window at me. I was staring out at her. And then, of course, I realized it was a coyote. It was a coyote that had come out of the woods. And yeah, my friends have all said, oh, well, that was sent to you as a message. But in a way, I feel like it was something stranger than a message, or more beautiful, not stranger, but more beautiful than a message from the dead. It was the natural order. It was the coyote saying, for the last five years, this has not been my territory. But now it is. I am back. I stake a claim. Nature is moving in here again. So it was in its own way more powerful than a visit from a ghost because it was a visit from, from the living. Good girl, okay. About seven months after Nighthawk's death, Tara and her family found a rescue dog that they call Luna, who they adore and who runs very fast. Tara Ray is a photographer and lives with her family in South Woodstock, Vermont. She currently has a solo exhibit at Ava Gallery in West Lebanon, New Hampshire, featuring work from her forthcoming photo book called Book of Sons. Tobin Anderson is a writer in Callis, Vermont. He publishes under the name M.T. Anderson. He won the National Book Award for his novel, The Pox Party. You can also find pictures of Tobin and LaRue on the website. The music you're hearing is by Callis musician Brian Clark. You can find more information and links to all of their work on my website, rumblestripvermont.com. If you want to make a comment or tell your own dog story, I would, of course, love to hear it. Just go to the website and go to that show page and go to the bottom and there's a comment box. If you want to make a comment on Apple Podcasts, that would also be great because that helps new listeners find the show. You know why I love dogs? You can stop being a serious human and just fucking talk about sticks. Rumblestrip is a proud member of Hub and Spoke, a collective of independent podcasts from all around the country. I want to recommend the latest episode of Soonish. This episode is called A Soundtrack for the Pandemic. It's about composer Graham Gordon Ramsay and a work of classical music he made during a series of terrible nightmares he had in April 2020. It's a beautiful show. You can find it at hubspokeaudio.org. This is Rumble Strip. I'm Erica Heilman. Thanks a lot for listening. Like, have you ever seen a creature happier in your life right now? That's infectious. <laughs>